Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I want you to think about some of the ways that when we go through life, we can have some of the funniest ways of having commonality with people. Uh, One example that I always chuckle at is, have you ever had those moments where you meet someone or for some reason you find out that you have the same birthday as somebody and you're like, hey, like there's this genuine sense of, whoa, you have that birthday too, me too. Like somehow that makes y'all like twins kind of or something, you know, you're like, hey, that's my birthday too. And and you have this unity. There's a girl uh, that was in our youth group that's a friend of ours that I remember when she found out that Catherine and her had the same birthday, it was all of a sudden it was like, okay, I guess we're going to be best friends for forever. We have the same birthday. Another thing I feel like is this happens to me often is, you know, if I, if I'm in another state, or maybe, you know, when I, when I studied abroad in Germany in college, I remember I saw someone with like a Dallas Cowboys hat on one time. And I was just like, hey, we're, we're buddies. You know, we're friends. Or, or if you're in another state and you see somebody with a Texas license plate and it's, whoa. You know, I actually uh, didn't plan on saying this, but whenever my grandparents did this thing where they took me when I was younger to Europe, and I remember our last flight was from Paris back. And I remember we were in Paris and we had been on this trip and I, I remember we all just kind of wanted something that felt a little like home, so we ate at a McDonald's in Paris. And in the McDonald's, we ran into one of the elders and his wife from the Belton Church of Christ. (laughs) Unplanned. Isn't that crazy? So you want to talk about like, whoa, you know, we're here. And the last one I think of is a story. Um, This happens a lot with sports, where you may not know somebody, you may not have any idea who they are, but because of your connection with that sports team, you're together. You're able to all cheer and scream. I've been in places before where it's a a large group of people that are like watching the game on a screen, you know, all celebrating together. You see those awesome videos during like the World Cup where countries have like in the state capital, there's millions of people all watching this this game. And uh, I remember when I was a youth minister being at a soccer game. It was a big playoff soccer game. And one of the girls in our youth group was playing. We, we went all out. Me and some of the teens, we painted our face. I did like the Braveheart look where I tried to like do stripes across my face. And, and we show up. And I remember one thing about my last job in Katy, there are nine 6A high schools. So most of these kids don't like each other's schools. Does that make sense? Like, I really couldn't, I love being here where I can just wear tons of green, you know, and be super go Clifton. But there, it was, I'd have two kids that went to Seven Lakes, two that went to Cinco, two that went to Katy, two that went to Morton Ranch, Maid Creek, you get it, okay? But all these youth group kids, because of this girl in the youth group, we all were going to wear orange, Seven Lakes colors, orange and blue, and we were going to go watch her play. And the coolest thing happened where in high school soccer, they actually do have the clock counting down in all the other versions of soccer the clock counts up uh, it's European you know I don't understand it either but the clock counts down and it was a tie game and a girl kicked the ball from like halfway from like the middle of the field and just booted it and as the clock was going down it went in and I remember we all were screaming and I turned and one of the kids in the youth group was like three aisles away fully embracing this random person <laughs> that we had never met before and he came back and I was like who was that he's like, I have no idea but we were all so excited to just excited to have that that commonality of, of excitement that brings us together. Okay, so now I want to give you a picture. I want to paint a scene that's a little bit more of a sad scene. Okay, I tried to start happy. 
Now I'm going to start a little more sad. But it's a, it's a scene that I think we can all imagine. It's not, there's no, this is no story that's a real story. This is just something I made up. But I think as you hear it, you'll be able to picture the realness of the story. I want you to picture that um, we are at the funeral of a, a wonderful woman. Let's say a person that the whole community knew. Someone that was maybe a fourth grade teacher for 36 years. And everyone in town was either raised by this person or was one of those people that was like, I'm so glad that my kids went through her class. That for year after year, they would say to her, I've got two more kids that are coming. Please don't retire yet. You know, those people that we know. And she served at her local church. She knew exactly when to send the right card, the right message to someone that needed it. And uh, the local minister was nervous because he was thinking, I don't think our church is going to be able to hold everybody that's going to come. Can you, you can picture the scene. Now I want you to imagine that that morning, all four of her children show up and none of them have talked with each other for years. That the four children have, some live close, some live far, but all of them are very stressed because they know that they're going to have to interact with each other. And all of the town is trying not to gossip and trying not to talk about the obvious where it's like, I wonder if they're going to come. I wonder if they're going to be there. And how are they going to interact? Is there going to be fireworks? I hope for her sake that there aren't fireworks. You can imagine this, okay? Now I want you to picture that you're at the graveside, they're at the graveside, and the, uh, the visitors have left, friends and family have left, but the four children and their kids and their grandkids are still there. And they don't all hug and make up. They don't all say, I'm sorry. They don't, there's no big reconciliation, but they're all able to be there together in the same space. Okay? Can you, can you picture what I'm talking about, right? And here is the question that, why I use that analogy. Here is the thing that, that comes to mind. Is the thing that unites us stronger than the thing that divides us? And in the situation, why did I share that story? Why did I talk about the sports and why the, all those things? The reason I do that is because we all can think of people or things in our life where we, we add up all the reasons why we don't want to be together. And they often add up to more than the reasons why we do want to be together. And so we don't. But in this situation, in this story, the love that they had for their mom was enough. It added up to enough that they were going to decide to be in the same space. Does that make sense? You can picture the scene. And so this is the question I want you to be thinking about. I'm going to come back to it at the end. Is the thing that unites us stronger than the thing that divides us? We're going to read from a psalm, Psalm 133. It's a psalm that is special to me because when I was in college, one of the groups that I was in, this was our core verse. And uh, as the leader of that group, before every meeting, I had to get up to start the meeting. I'd hit a gavel, and I'd say, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robe. It was as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. How many of you know, are familiar with this psalm? It's not one of those ones that we say all the time. It's not Psalm 23, but it's a great one. And, and let, me, let me kind of point some things out in it. I think there, a lot of this is fairly obvious, but first, this is a song of ascents. Uh, ascents is this group of psalms that have been put together because this is the songs that people would sing as they were journeying to Jerusalem for some of the holy festivals. 
And so if it were the Feast of Booths or if it were the Feast of Passover, all these people would be journeying. And the reason it's called the Song of Ascents is because Jerusalem was on a hill. And so it was all these people from all over would be traveling uphill. And these songs would be the songs like, if you grew up like me, you had the certain CD soundtracks that you would play in the car as a family that were the go-to that we sing to these songs. My, my family's CDs were so weird. Oh, man. Uh, lots, of, lots of musicals, like uh, lots of uh, the Wicked musical soundtrack, or uh, um, we'd listen to a lot of... My dad loved Barbara Streisand, lots of Barbara Streisand. So anyway, these are the songs that you would listen to as you come together. And so you can see it would make sense. This is a song where all these people from all over are going to be in the same place. Some, some scholar, Josephus is an ancient Hebrew scholar from, I believe, the 4th century, and he... He would say that, in his opinion, every Passover, that the population of Jerusalem would swell to two million people coming from all over. So you have, it, it makes sense how good and pleasant it is when these people come from far off to be together. And then he uses two analogies, two things I want to point out. The first analogy is, it is like precious oil poured on the head. And not just that, it's not just a little oil. If you've ever had oil put on your head, it's not just a little oil. It's so much oil that it runs down your face, it gets on your beard, and it runs down onto your shirt. And I've said this recently, but oil, we've got to remember, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see James talk about anoint them with oil. Oil is a symbol of what I'm going to call liquid life. At the beginning, in the beginning, when God created, He poured out His Spirit, poured out His Spirit, and gave life, breathed life into us. And so the idea of anointing, who were the people that were anointed in the Old Testament? They were the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And it was God's way of saying, I am pouring out my life onto you so that you can give life to others. And so it was this symbol of life being given, the life of God coming onto us and being shared through us. And so it's not, just, uh, it's not just a little bit of God sharing his life. It's, he's pouring it out. And then we have this awesome illustration, too, where he says, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So Hermon was a place, as you can tell from context clues, Hermon was a region that actually did have a good amount of dew every morning on the ground. And so in your, if you're in a place like the ancient Near East in the Middle East, where everything is so dry, think about how precious water is to have a little bit of dew. He says, it's like if that water were falling on Mount Zion. And this is where all the readers would go, oh man, that would be amazing. So here's the good analogy. Where Think of a place in the United States where it rains a ton. Maybe like Washington State, or if you're Steve, Washington State. Okay, Washington State, and where it rains a ton, right? And what if I told you that for a year, the rain that we got in Clifton, Texas, was the same as the rain in Washington State? How many of y'all would be like, whoa? How many of you would be like, well, man, that stock pond I have at my place, that would take care of that. That would be amazing. Think about how that great that would be for our, our crops, for our, our you know, whatever, you, right? Sure, I need some more head nodding. Y'all would love that, right? Come on, we pray for rain all the time. If we got to have that, it'd be amazing. This is what he's saying. He's saying, and, and here's the point he's making. When people, God's people, unite together, it is as if the rain of Washington State were pouring on Clifton, Texas. And when we all go, oh, that would bring a lot of good. That would bring a lot of life. That would bring a lot of blessing. 
It is as if God were pouring out his life like oil poured on the head. Not just a little bit, but running down the beard. It would be so, so good. And so I can picture you sitting here thinking, Drew, are we still on our prayer series or are we on a different series? Well, there's a couple things. One, why am I talking about unity first? I'm talking about unity because Neighborhood Clifton was last week. And Neighborhood Clifton was really good. And if you had an opportunity to be a part of Neighborhood Clifton, I don't think a single one of you could possibly say, yeah, not a lot of life and blessing was poured out then. If you were there, you would be able to say and you would be able to see and think, man, how incredible was it when there was unity, the amount of blessing and the amount of God's life that was poured out in Bosque County. So that's one reason. Another reason why I bring it up is because we have a very famous prayer where it's in the Gospel of John, and John, before he decides, he is, before Jesus decides he is leaving, he says, I'm going to pray for you. He prays for the world, he prays for his disciples that are in the room with him, and then it says he prays for all believers. So, oh yeah, if you didn't get my main point a second ago, where there is unity, God pours out his life and his blessing, if you're a note taker, from Psalm 133. So let's read this prayer of Jesus. This is a prayer he literally is praying for you. Verse 20, it says, My prayer is not for them, my disciples alone, not just my living disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Everyone who is going to someday believe in Jesus Christ because they heard the message from someone who heard it from someone who heard it from someone all the way back to the first century. That's something we need to think that's pretty remarkable before we go too far. Something that is incredible about our faith is that a bunch of simple people and some important people were all able to tell enough people about Jesus, to change their life, to tell enough people about Jesus that you and I 2,000 years later are still talking about Jesus. That's incredible. And Jesus is saying, I have a prayer for y'all. So I want you to picture someone that is the closest person in your life, the person that means the most to you. They are on their deathbed, and they pull you over, and they say, I have a prayer for you. Do you think you would maybe take that one pretty special, right? I would. I mean, it would be, it would be engraved on my heart in a way nothing else would. So let's read this prayer from Jesus to us. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even as I, even as you have loved me. So first, let's look at this part in verse 21, that all of them may be one. I want to use a little bit of an analogy. Sometimes with the Bible, we read stuff and we Christianize it. We spiritualize it a little too much. Yeah, sometimes we don't spiritualize things. Sometimes we over-spiritualize it. And I'll give you a good example. How many of you have heard in the Bible it says, love your neighbor as yourself? And we're like, oh, well, you know, that means we're supposed, to, we're supposed to love. Yes, that's good. But also it means love your neighbors. So let me ask you a question. If Catherine and I moved away, would Roger and Neat Bushi, would Sandra Yonke, would Pat Boswell, would the Lindsays, would they be sad to see me go? Or would they be happy to see me leave? This is a very simple, not rocket science question. How much time have you spent loving your literal neighbors in your neighborhood? Right? 
Oh, wait, I forgot. There's that part where Jesus says, but if your neighbors don't like you, you don't have to love them. Oh, wait a second. That's not in there, right? This is not rocket science. This is not spiritual life. This is just how it is. We often make it very, well, you know, it means just be nice to people. Love your neighbors, okay? So now let's do the same thing with this passage. Oh, well, you know, be unified. It means blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's not some complicated big thing. It is, are you connected with other believers of Christ? Are you together? Are you unified? Let's not overcomplicate this. One of the things that has been on my mind because I heard a, uh, he was, he's a preacher and he's a psychologist and he spoke about this. I thought it was so good. He was talking about all the statistics of what our world went through in 2020 when we were disconnected from each other. He talked about what it did to students, what it did to adults, what it did to elderly, whenever we just for a while just said we're not going to be around anybody else. What it did to all people. And if you're, I think you would agree with me, it was bad, right? And one of the things he said, I love this quote. Now, I'm, a, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist, psychologist. He is. So if you don't like this quote, I'll, I'll send him your, your, you his email, okay? But I loved this quote. You ready? He said, at this point in my field, we know that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. At this point in my field, we know that the opposite of conflict in marriage is not agreement. It's connected attunement. There is literature that clearly states the opposite of a low mood is not an elevated mood. It's connection. Connection is a life or death issue. The core feature of connection is love, and love is the central theme of our faith. That's pretty good, right? He's saying in so many things. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times you maybe can see a marriage and you're like, how are they making it? And the answer, connection, not agreement, connection. So let me look at this next part of John 17 uh, a little bit later. So why does Jesus pray for unity among those who believe in the message of Jesus? Because he knows, as Psalm 133 tells us, that there the Lord will pour out life and blessing and... Because when you are united, the world will know that you sent me and love me even as you have loved me. So, the next big point. Unity preaches the gospel. Disunity also preaches. Let me read that again. Jesus says, the way that they are going to know if I love them is if you are unified. So the reverse of that is, the world will not know that I love them if you are not unified. Does that make sense? Is that fair? Is that, I don't want that to be too complicated. But when we are unified, we preach a message. And when we are not unified, we also preach a message. One of them leads people to God and his love, and one of them doesn't. So let me go back to this question. This is the key question. Is the thing that unites us stronger than the thing that divides us? The saving power of Jesus Christ is strong enough to unite us. But if you have a different gospel, then it won't be strong enough and you will be divided. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God is strong enough to unite us. But if your gospel is built on having all the right answers to all the right questions, it won't be strong enough. How did a tax collector and a fisherman and a zealot... By the way, tax collector is someone that helps the Roman government get people and take advantage of them and take their money. A zealot is someone who is trying to kill Roman officials to get them out of Jerusalem. How did those two disciples sit in the same circle all the time? Was it because they thought the same? Surely not. 
Did they all have the same theology? Surely not. Did they all have the same politics? Definitely not. They had Christ, and that was enough. In the first century, if you were willing to say, I am a follower of Christ, you were willing to be killed for your faith. And there were even ways in which it was very difficult for people to try to evangelize because we can go out there and we can say, hey, come to this church thing. There, if you said, hey, y'all, come to Mary's house. We're having Bible study. There's a good chance that a whole bunch of Roman officials are at Mary's house arresting everyone. So you had to walk this line between, I want to evangelize and tell people about the gospel, but I also don't want someone to send someone to arrest me, right? So you had to walk this fine line. So I want you to imagine if you're walking in your community and you meet someone and you kind of start to wonder and you go, that person might be a Christian. And you kind of take up the courage to go, so uh, do you believe in Jesus the Messiah? And they go, I do. And then they go, well, do you believe this about this and that and this? Oh, you, oh, you do? Okay, we can't talk to each other. Can you imagine that? No. If people... In, we always take pride in the church of Christ of restoring the first century church. In the first century church, if you were willing to put your life on the line for Jesus, when you met someone else who was willing to put their life on the line for Jesus, you did not go, oh, we can't be together. You were unified. You were thrilled that you found someone else like you. And you no way, where do y'all meet? Oh, you meet at so we meet at so-and-so's house. Oh, that's amazing. This is great. Okay, are you are you following me? Okay. Jesus prayed for me. This is my last thing. Jesus prayed for me, and he prayed for you, that we may be unified, not some complex, just connected, be together. And we get the opportunity every day to participate in that prayer or to ignore it. But I am confident of this, as confident of anything I've ever said from this pulpit. Someday, that prayer will be answered. When Jesus prayers, prays a prayer in God's name, that prayer is answered. Scripture testifies to that. Someday that prayer will be answered, and we will behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And so the question is, do you want to participate in that now and join Jesus in this prayer, or we don't have to? But I know I would like to, and I believe that when we do, it will be good and pleasant, for there the Lord will bestow life and blessing forevermore. If any of you have any prayer requests, we're going to have that opportunity. And if any of you would like to come forward for anything else, we have that opportunity as we stand and as we sing this song.